Hello and welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. This is episode number 38 with Chris Hillman from Quantified Accounting Group and also Paradox Gaming. In this podcast, we talk about Chris's change from uh, Rise Financial Accounting across to Quantified. We talk a lot about the quote-unquote necessary evil of uh, accounting and bookkeeping in esports, why you would actually you know, utilize an accountant understanding the costs involved with doing so and justifying the costs involved because you know as you know startups are are looking to make money and sometimes it can be hard to spend we also talk about the possibility of doing everything yourself uh, versus working with someone such as chris and then we dive a lot into paradox gaming talking about angel and seed investment talking about how companies operate at a loss how that works and yeah taking a real deep dive into so many different topics so hopefully you enjoy this podcast it's definitely an enlightening one and definitely a podcast that you should listen to if you're looking to open your own business or take your business much more seriously. Once again, this is one of our podcasts created at the Intel Extreme Masters Sydney here at Kudos Bank Arena. We're talking to a whole lot of guests, both local and international, about various different esports business topics. But first, a quick word from our sponsors and we'll get straight into the podcast. Hey, this is Chris from Big Esports. I'd like to thank you all for listening to us and being involved in the big community. If you're enjoying the podcast content, then please give us a rate, review, or subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to right now. If you want to see more of us, you can head to our website, bigesports.gg, or you can get in contact with us across social media on all platforms at bigesports underscore gg. Once again, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for sending in your suggestions and your questions, and enjoy the episode. Chris, I am Sydney 2019, mate. Welcome. This is uh, the third year that it's that it's been in. Uh, have you have you been around for the last two as well? Yeah. Um. So I actually wasn't the two years ago, but last year I was definitely at IEM Sydney. So I really enjoyed um, showing my face there and uh, having fun going there. It's it's really really enjoyable for people like me at that industry yeah fantastic so i guess we we talked a lot about uh off microphone about the big esports podcast with thunder insurance that happened and you know the real benefits that came out of that previously so i thought you know why not if you've tackled the quote-unquote boring you know topic of insurance i think that accounting is something that's pretty serious to talk about so can you just kind of help us kick off this podcast let us know a bit about yourself your history and how it's relevant to where you are today in esports yeah so um as as with most people i've you know started off as a gamer but uh uh, my passion was really in the accounting side of things. So I, um, I went through, got all the qualifications uh, and essentially started my own company, um, which is called Rise Family Accounting. Uh, and from there, I sort of had a run in about six or seven years ago with a, a group of people that we tried to start uh, probably a little bit too early in the esports industry. Um, we actually set up a different company, which didn't originally go through. We, um, it's pretty basic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from there, um, eventually I just met Chris Smith um, and uh, went to the EGAA conference from there and um, basically really got into the industry at that point and it's been pretty successful for me ever since. Ended mm-hmm. up um, investing in uh, Paradox Gaming Australia and haven't looked back since that point. Yeah, fantastic. And definitely for anyone listening who's not aware, Chris is our accountant here at Big Esports and for others too, just to you know get any possible biases out, out, of, the, um, you know, out of the picture as well. So... If I'm, you know, let's start from the basics, right? So if, if I'm a person who's, you know, 18 years old, I want to make an esports team. Can you walk me through, you know, the first five steps that yes. really needs to be taken into account when making an esports business? So the first step with any business, not just esports businesses, is knowing your structure. So it's very important to do a little bit of research as to how you want to structure your business. Uh, structures can can go from range from you know very cheap setting up a sole trader 
ABN all the way through to very expensive running multiple companies, trusts and things like that. So just having having the knowledge of running the structure. Um, next step is obviously if you're setting up a company, it's registering your ACN with ASIC and then followed by your ABN and tax file number. Uh, and through that point, essentially, it's 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 the basic setups of any company at the end of the day. You, you just need to make sure that you've got the right business structure and the right startup process and basically steps one through five are pretty much just going through one structure two abn tfn acn three accounting software for uh future proofing your business so that's just basically talking with accountants talking with lawyers and really understanding what you're going to be doing in the future and number five is really getting your business off the ground so working out your cash flow working out what's going to happen with that which ties once again in with your accounting software yeah, yeah. And what's, you know, how many of these steps can someone feasibly do themselves through in a amount of research? You know, what's the, as, as an accountant and a business, you know, obviously you've got something to sell. So what's your value proposition and why would someone not use you, for example, and do it themselves? Yeah, look, um, in all honesty, it's actually possible to do all five of the steps yourself if you really want to. But at the end of the day, if you don't have the professional knowledge in the industry, um, you, you'll, you'll quickly fall apart in certain areas. So one of the big areas where people do fall apart is they think they know how the tax system works in Australia and they think it's just a simple structure of dealing with that. But sometimes it's it's a lot more uh, prudent in the sense of there's a lot of things that you can and you can't claim during the process. There's a lot of things that you would be surprised that you can deal with. So um, as an individual, you can definitely do it yourself and I, mm-hmm. I, I don't suggest not doing it that way if you feel comfortable doing it. But uh, one of the things that I would definitely look at doing is at least having a chat with someone to to get the basics down because generally what happens is and the value add proposition of having an accountant at the end of the day is generally what happens is if you do it yourself you don't cover all the bases mm-hmm. so uh, you, you you may be comfortable setting up a company you may be comfortable setting up an ABN a tax file number and things like that but then you may get bogged down with um, GST you may get bogged down with other services and things like that you may also end up with the wrong accounting software for your business if you need an inventory management system for instance it's uh a very big thing to to make sure that all of your software talks to each other so it's not just about um doing it yourself on an excel spreadsheet like to start yeah that that'd probably work but as your your business grows your organization grows and your structure grows um if you're looking for potential investors if you're looking for potential uh, sponsorships, uh, and in general, just contracts with teams and things like that. It's very mm-hmm. important to have somebody that you can fall back on that has that knowledge in the industry and can really help you continue to grow and move forward. Yeah, and I guess a, a lot of my question for you, which was similar with, with Thunder Insurance, is that you know, you're working with esports companies, they're startups. So a lot of the time they're self-funded. A lot yes. of the time they're funded by a younger individual who's you know, 18 to 21 without much money as well. So how do you, how do you justify as a business your value add when, you know, when it does, it's quite expensive to play ball when you're talking about complex business structures? Yeah, look, it can be quite expensive to play ball, but if you don't do it right to begin with, you'll end up with a lot of problems down the line. So the way we justify it is it's, it's essentially, to some extent, it's a scare tactic. To some extent, it's, it's the truth. It's one of those things of, you know, we can turn around and we can say all we want, you know, if you don't have the right structure now, you'll, you'll end up failing. But the, the, moment, the moment you get audited, the moment something happens, that's where accountants can't help you because if you haven't proactively done the work, 
then retroactively your situation becomes worse. Mm. So us as accountants, we value add from the beginning to the end because we can provide you the advice and justify how we're providing the advice. And a good accountant really looks at your cash flow situation and helps you along that line as well. So as an example, if you don't have a lot of money, but you still want to set up a business, I'm not going to turn around and tell you to set up, you know, a $9,000 structure if that really doesn't suit what's going on. Mm -hmm. So you might want to have all the protections in place, but all the protections in place aren't going to protect you from going bankrupt. So a good accountant will also take that into account when dealing with your your circumstances and situations. So in order to value add, we don't just look at, you know, this is the structure that's that's the best for everyone. This is the, the way your accounting should work. We also look at, well, how are you going to go from year one to year five? So... You know, typically in any any business, any any lifestyle, anything like that, you, a, a new company setup isn't profitable for usually at least the first twelve months. And mm. uh, I mean, seventy five percent of companies fail in the first twelve months. And nowadays, that that stat's actually going up to around ninety percent. So, and the reason for that is because people don't take into account some very basic costs and expenses that really they that should have been factored into from the beginning. Mm. Um, So we as accountants and even as business coaches can help you get to that level where you understand what costs are involved, but also where your revenue streams may also be. So Mm -hmm. it's not just accounting nowadays is not just look at the books, look at the numbers, prepare a finance set of financial statements and tax returns. We're really also considered your business advisor so we help you in with regards to we can help you with regards to day-to-day operations in some extent as well Mm. just depends on how thorough you want to be with your books so at the end of the day with us accountants you can justify your costs at a basic level so we can say well yeah we can just do your financial statements and tax returns Uh, but then you really need to find the the skill gap you need to have someone on board who can help you justify from going from point a to point b or -hmm. we can go all the way up to essentially being an external chief financial officer who can approve your payments. We can, we can actually do your invoices and billings and run your accounts receivables and payables and give you the, the day-to-day business advice that you need. So mm. it's whilst it's on us as accountants to help you, it's also on you as the, the new owner to determine what level is really right for your business. Yeah, I found the internal discussion with myself interesting, going from a sole trader, um, you know, what I was doing as, a, as an analyst and a consultant to setting up a company and, um, you know, the processes that are afforded with that. There's a big shift in, okay, if I'm charging X brand $150, $250 an hour and a $5,000 project, that essentially 5000 goes majority into my pocket, you know, and not having to pay for serious accounting fees. I'm putting away my own, you know, portion for tax and it's a basic, you know, couple hundred dollar tax return at the end of the financial year to get that process through, through you know, through my tax agent to when you're running a full company, you know, selling a $5,000 project, that might be the wages of one of your employees for one month. And, you know, figuring out the internal costs for that at, you know, however much you pay your employee at real cost, let's say the real cost for them to be employed by you is $35 an hour, which is their wage plus overheads plus super and and payroll tax, etc., that it becomes a very different kettle of fish. And this is something that, you know, I found that, you know, initially myself was resistant to working with a tax agent because it's can you really afford the five hundred one thousand dollars a month or whatever for the tax agent to be you know on your side or, and or helping you out with your accounting and processes but ultimately it i guess it's similar to what we're saying with insurance it almost becomes a necessary evil in the fact that you know if you're going to get audited in the future this is you know something you want to have all of your books in order for sure 
it's not just and it's not just if you're going to get audited in the future. You need to also look at uh, if you're planning on having an investment investor come in. An investor won't invest in your business if you can't show forecasts, if you can't show profitability, if you can't show a structure in place. And generally, the best person to help you with that is not your lawyer. It's actually your accountant. Um, yeah. Your lawyer can get all the contracts and things like that in place, but they can't tell you, you know, what your books are going to look like five years from now to justify an investor coming on board and actually purchasing your business. Mm. Um, or separate to that is there's a lot of proposals and things like that that you work with. As you said, as a sole trader, that $5,000 can essentially be in your back pocket. But if you make $50,000 in a year just in a sole tradership compared to running it in a company, your tax return, you're going to end up paying higher tax just based on that structure. So yeah. it's one of those things where just the structure alone may not necessarily be correct because, as you said, yes, there are extra costs with running a company. No, Nobody's going to deny that. There's ASIC fees. There's other regulate, regulatory costs you may mm-hmm. want to look at in, as with your last podcast. You may want to look at insurances. You may need extra insurance. But at the same time, having that company in place gives you the benefit of essentially asset protection as well. So you can sit there, if your company goes bankrupt, you're not personally liable for everything that happens within that company, within that structure. You Mm. you won't be forced to pay back any outstanding debts necessarily as long as you as a director were not negligible in that circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. The other important thing that that I come across a lot with scaling up with big and even with, with one of our investment companies, you know, they've got over 50 staff and they're going through the same discussion is how much does it really cost them to run this project and what is their real profit that comes out of that? And that's something that I think is, sounds like an extremely basic question, but isn't something that esports teams or companies take into account let's say that you were to onboard a new sponsor as an esports company and you're getting that sponsor to pay you ten thousand dollars a quarter which is a fairly standard market rate in australia for a tier top tier two or a tier one team how much does it actually cost you in operations to fulfill that ten thousand dollar contract do you have to hire a new staff member whose wage is very likely to be fifteen thousand dollars for that quarter so you're actually losing money or you know do you need to send your teams overseas as part of this contract does it add extra costs and that the cost of business is definitely something i think that is overlooked by so many different people and it's really easy to do that because once again, as a sole trader, the $10,000 is, is primarily in your pocket, you know, minus 25% or so for tax that you put away into another account and save it for, you know, when you have to pay that. But yeah, are you really making a profit out of onboarding these people or are you charging enough per hour? And this is something for, you know, those of you who are listening, who are very new and wanting to become a consultant in the industry, this is why your mechanic charges 80 to $120 an hour. It's not because, you know, they're driving home in, in a different variety each day it's because the cost of business is you know owning the facility and buying the tools and maintenance of that and you know maintaining the sponsor um you know relations and maintaining the supplier relations and keeping the lights turned on and you know looking after their kids going to school and these kind of things as well yeah even even looking at that as well you mentioned household traders it can all, all be in your back pocket but which is true to some extent because a lot of those business expenses that you were talking about that you would have in the company you'd also potentially have in your sole tradership so mm. um you, you may think you can run the entire system yourself but if you onboard the next sponsor do you really have the capacity to continue running that and in a sole tradership you may still have to hire someone so those mm. costs can still be there it's just that it depends on how much you can take on yourself compared to how much can be taken on through a company structure mm. so you look at things along those lines it's very much it's very important to to determine what are the actual costs not just 
for yourself but for your business in general because as you said you know you may have to hire someone for fifteen thousand dollars a quarter when you're only making ten thousand dollars but then the question is are you forward thinking enough to say well yeah you may be hiring that person for fifteen thousand dollars a quarter but can that person also help you bring in the next sponsor at another ten thousand dollars without requiring a pay rise without requiring things along those lines so businesses you tend, you tend to find with companies as well, one of the basic things is sponsors, investors, things like that would prefer to deal with a company than a sole trader because your business just naturally looks bigger. Mm. Um, having the PTYLTD next to your name, having the, the ACN and the ABN set up that way with a website that's you, that's in as an example for my business, Rise Family Accounting, PTYLTD, it, it just makes the business look bigger than what it necessarily is. So you may have more weight in the industry. It's, mm. it's, you have to go down to that, that level of things as well when, you, when you're dealing with, with accounting in, in a basic structure. It's, well, how can you scale up your business? How can you, you forward think and look to the future? It's not just, this is what I need now. These are my books. It's really some costs are necessarily necessary evils and some some general advice that you might get may not cover what you really need you may need more specialist advice especially in the esports industry where uh, a lot of things are not applicable to to day-to-day businesses such as one of the big things right now is we're we're in a, a very big dark hole when it comes to contracts with with esports players because mm. we're not technically classified as a sport yet in the, the industry we all know that we're all w- well aware of that so mm-hmm. we have to we have to really think very much about how we structure not just our employees but how we also structure people who are working for us in in a, a gaming role in a in a in an esport capacity and so accountants can help you with that and companies with employment can help you with that but because mm-hmm. we're in a in one of those areas, it's very much you want to protect yourself. You want to protect your your assets. You want to protect your future. You want to protect your business. And whilst you, as Chris Smith no doubt mentioned, whilst whilst in an, a sole tradership, you may have that that ability to um, to make the money. You may not have the ability to protect yourself should something happen. Should something get finicky, a, a person leave the organisation and spread rumours or do anything along those lines. It's very important that you that you spend a little bit of time at least thinking about, well, what's the worst case scenario? Because the worst case scenario, whilst it may not happen, you can also think, a lot of people tend to think of what's the best case scenario. You know, I'm going to make a million dollars in the future and year three, I'm going to be a $5 million a year turnover business. But usually it's actually somewhere in between where you can shoot for the moon, you'll land somewhere in the stars. It's it's one of those things where... Yeah, you might want to be a $5 million a year turnover business, but you may end up only getting to $500,000. So you have yep. to realize what's, what's the in-between. And accountants very much help you with that sort of stuff. And they keep you realistic in your approach of what's going on. Yeah, and touching on that teams aspect, I think it's you know getting a little bit away from accounting. This is a very common thing I've seen in the past where teams are fighting to sign on the next client, the next sponsor, and not understanding what's actually involved with that and not fulfilling yes. properly. And this... I And I can 100% resonate and understand why because you know esports startups you're fighting for funding you know you've got a certain amount of runway as you do as a startup and you're trying to you know basically build a plane and take off before you 
reach the end of the runway or raise more money and, and build more road. But a lot of the time, the issue you find is that a team is looking to onboard sponsors and, you know, they'll reach their capacity, sign more contracts and be unable to fulfill those contracts properly. You know, the sponsors will be unhappy and then they'll leave and, and not renew for the next contract, you know. And it sounds like there's a lot of crossovers there between, you know, what we're talking about with accounting and making sure your books are in order understanding the real cost the actual cost of how much things are you know costing you to run internally but then also understanding you just what's your bandwidth as a business you can only do so much and it's very common in esports for everybody including myself to bite off more than you can chew and to say all right i'm going to chase the next thing now you know i've got five minutes of no time let's try to sign another client where realistically maybe in that five minutes you should go meditate or go for a walk or or get some sun which is hard when you're working you know 15 hour days sitting inside all of the time too so you know with with your work with with paradox you know as a co-owner and, and investor in paradox what's the what's the pathway for you investing in that and what sort is this a, is this an angel type investment is this a seed type investment yeah look it's uh it's a bit of both in when i say that it's a bit of an angel investment in the sense of i think any esports business is a little bit of an angel investment right now in the sense of you know mm-hmm. many of the businesses out there in esports you know they 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 may be trading at 10x 20x when it comes to investment but yeah. really that the actual dollar value worth is probably you know in the realms of 5 or 6x but that's just because that's the way the esports industry is going it's one of the fastest growing industries in the world it's it's one of the in fact it probably is the fastest growing industry in the world in my opinion uh, especially when it comes to digital and media entertainment um, mm. So, yeah, I'll, I'll admit it is a little bit of an angel investment, but at the same time, it's a seed investment in the sense of there's clear structure of what we're looking to do and, and where we're looking to go. So, as an example, with Paradox Gaming right now, um, we're very heavy into the, the Super Smash scene. So, we, we run a lot of tournaments in that area and we have a lot of players under our belt on that, that front. And we, you know, we, we talk with a lot of people and we're, we're really more looking right now to network and build our relationships in the industry. So whilst, you know, the end goal with every business in this industry is to find a sponsor or find a revenue stream that's, that can sustain itself, one of the big things to look at is, well, your reputation at the end of the day is what gets you there. So it's not just jumping on board, finding the first team that comes into power and mm. really just expecting sponsors to just throw money at your feet. Mm. And just buying it's, your way in, right? Yeah it's, yeah, it's very much finding a sustainable approach. So um, there's there's different approaches in the industry. As you said, there's a lot of businesses out there that have really gone for the, the top level, the top of the market. They're, they're, they're spending a lot of money to get these teams, to get these costs and things like that. Uh, and they're, and then they're getting big investment capital. But that doesn't necessarily make them revenue neutral and profitable at the end of the day. So one of the things that Paradox Gaming is looking at doing is we're not necessarily looking to be top end of town. We're looking to be a sustainable business that can run 5, 10, 20, 30 years in the future. And one of the big things we like to, to determine is any sponsors that we do have come on board, how we can actually truly help that sponsor get what they're after so it's not just about um yeah you get a sponsor you market them you have you know brands on jerseys brands on twitter and things like that it's really building the network and building the relationship and helping the sponsor understand esports as well so it's not just um especially with non-endemic sponsors out there we're seeing a lot more come into the industry now Mm -hmm. um so it's really in a sense paradox gaming is looking to not just be 
an organization, we're looking to be a coach in the industry as well. So a fallback platform for, for people who can really understand what's going on and, and going going to happen in the future. And that's where me with accounting expert expertise comes in handy as well because running a business, running a successful business is really the ultimate goal of any business is to be a profitable business. Now, there are companies out there that are $50 billion businesses that are not profitable, mm-hmm. uh, but they're few and far in between and they run heavily on investment revenue and invest- investors taking a punt to make a profit based on share price, mm-hmm. which in all honesty in the esports world, the ultimate goal of every esports business shouldn't be just looking at investors taking a big punt and spending $15 million, the ultimate goal should also be to have a business that has a really good reputation and can self-sustain. So if we can prove in Australia that we have self-sustainable esports businesses, mm. then we'd be ahead of the pack worldwide. And that's one of the things that I, I really look forward to pushing in the future. Yeah, and that, and that really draws into the next question I wanted to ask. So bringing likeness between our investors here at Big Esports, um, I like to look at the lens that they bring in. So we have a, you know, one of our one of our investing companies, I'm looking at their three founders right now and, and you know, I'd, I'd put them into three different categories. So, you know, when they're working with us, you've got one which is, I call him the creative slash visionary. So talking about trends in the market, what's cool, what's hot, what's interesting, what's exciting uh, with a lot of passion. I've also got one which I would say is business business drive and delivery, someone who works in a lot of biz dev, works in a lot of COO capacities, can drive staff, can drive results and can drive contracts and really push things through, whether it's a sales or whether it's person to person, B2B or B2C. And then the other section is the finance and analysis. Someone who can really sit back and look at the numbers with a critical eye, you know, really take that nerdy route and, and look at where everything's going, how that makes sense, how much things cost and why, and, um, you know, really bounce off each other. So what what sort of lens do you think that you bring as, as an accountant to Paradox? You know, why would why would someone want to gain investment from someone with a financial background versus maybe a creative visionary or with the business drive delivery? Look, yeah, I definitely, I'm definitely classed in the financial lens. Um, that's, that's, I'm an accountant. I love numbers. That's what I do. I look, yeah. at, I look at people's books and I look at how we can improve those books and get those numbers rolling. Uh, really people, people want accountants and things like that on board in their businesses because it gives them a sense of reality. So you can have all the lofty goals in the world, but you need someone that can ground those goals and help you get and achieve those goals. Mm. And that's where your, your financial lens person comes into play. So your, your CEOs and people who have the lofty, lofty dreams and imaginations, one of the big things we find with them, and this is very common, is they, they have very big dreams and they have very big goals. But the, then the question is, how do they actually implement those? And that's where your financial person comes into play to say, well, you know, you've received, inv- you, you've received investment of $100,000. What are you going to do with that $100,000? Are you literally just going to look at, you know, a single OPL slot, for instance, or are you going to spend the, spend the time to actually diversify your portfolio and make sure that your business is profitable even if it's just a five to ten percent profit margin the question is can you make the business profitable yeah and then build on those goals to reach that dream that that creative vision and that creative dream mm-hmm. now we do see businesses out there that don't need the financial people um, it happens um, just as it happens where you see businesses out there that don't need someone who's got lofty lofty goals and dreams but at the end of the day one of the big things is you need a balance you need 
if you want your business to be successful in the long term, mm-hmm. eventually the business that has the lofty goals and dreams finds a big investor, probably sells the business at that point and starts their next venture. That's They're the entrepreneurs. They're the people who, who do really well with that. Mm-hmm. The financial people tend to hold businesses a lot. They look at the valuations of the businesses and they, they look at what's working, what's not. You cull what's not working and you really you build the business that way. Um, now... Separate to that is the financial people help you when it comes to understanding your accounts. So one of the actual obligations of a director of any business is they have to have at least a basic understanding of what's going in and out of their financial statements. Uh, So anyone who's a financial investor or who understands accounts can help you with that. They can help you ground yourself and build your own knowledge of what's going on and Mm -hmm. what's actually going through your books. Um, now, that may be on a monthly basis, that may be on a quarterly basis, that may be on an annual basis, but it's just very important that it, as a director, you don't lose sight of your own goal, but you also, you're grounded in reality of what is actually achievable at any given circumstance in time. Mm. So for you, you know, taking that lens into account yet again, is is there anything major that you've come in and changed in regards to the directional operations of Paradox when you became involved? Yeah, so first first things first, um, when I actually became involved, we changed our business structure. It was very important that the business structure was right. Um, so that's coming back to step number one in any any business. It's, it's making sure the business structure is correct. Mm-hmm. But then in terms of financial operations and things like that, it was very much uh, being realistic about what costs the business has in play. So I came on board ran through the financial statements, had a look at what was actually being spent, where we could cut costs and where we needed to add costs. So when I say like no businesses likes adding costs as as we, we talk about, but at the end of the day, sometimes you need to spend money to make money. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have the capital backing, that's fine, but then you need to be very shrewd about what you're spending your money on. And basically I came on board to look at building a structure and a professional business and bringing in a management structure that really looks at cash flow mm-hmm. as as a big operation of the business. So a lot of the times one of, one of the things people do in business is they go, they think about what they want and not what they need. So sometimes it's, it's about not just sitting there and uh, spending money on anything that you want, uh, it's also about thinking about, well, <clears throat> do you have the appropriate accounting software in place? So when it comes to uh, just that step alone, you may spend, think, $50 a month on an accounting software is a lot of money. But that accounting software will give you a picture that day, depending on how updated you are with it, mm. that day on where your finances are, what you've spent your money on, what's your biggest cost driver and what's your biggest revenue driver? So mm. that information alone can be extremely crucial when dealing with business because you may you may turn around at the end of the year and find you spent 20% less than what you budgeted for and therefore you've got 20% extra money from your revenue. As an example, if 20% on a million dollars, that could be $200,000 that you can now turn around and play with. 20% yeah. on $1,000 is still $200 that you can turn around and maybe buy that extra monitor or that that extra mouse and keyboard that you really needed to run your business. Or it may be $200 that you spend upskilling yourself, training yourself in the next area, finding your Chris Smiths of the world who can help you really really understand what's going on in the industry. Mm. So 
it's really grounding that reality and working out, well, where should I spend the money? Where should I not spend the money? And really just approving things throughout the day-to-day operations of the business. So Paradox Gaming, for instance, we've got a fair number of streamers under our belt and you know often they need flights to places because they're doing specific streams for charity or even just down here at IEM we've got a, a bunch of our streamers down here shout out to Bobby J Kidu and all of them um because of the fact that um they're um you know they're, they're really at the end of the day the people in the industry who are going to help us grow mm. so sometimes you have to spend that extra money to do that and that's where I come on board and I approve those costs and really make sure our money, our budget is balanced at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the accounting software is an interesting one, something that I tried to get away with not using for a long time. And, you know, then when the quarterly tax thing comes around, you end up spending half a day trying to compile all of your receipts and, you know, inclusive, exclusive GST if you're in Australia and, you know, taking account of tracking GST in versus out. And it's it's a real headache. Yeah, many nights, you know, sitting there at 11.30 p.m. staring at an Excel spreadsheet wishing I wasn't. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's even the same as management a lot of that is personal management as well professional management of you know if you have to do a quarterly report if you have to do a bi-weekly report like so many people do if you work in marketing you need to tell your boss this is what i've done in the past two weeks just compile that report over time as you're doing it take some screenshots if it's in powerpoint make sure you're doing one slide a day about what you've done and then when it comes to time to submit you can just hit go <laughs> and it's already Precisely. done and it's all ready to go. And, you know, we, you know, we talked a little bit at the start, I guess, about the doom and gloom, about auditing and, you know, setting up, all, up all that kind of stuff. But a lot of it is just about making your life easier a lot of the time and it allows you to do better things. You know, a book that I suggest people listen to and audible look at is The Millionaire Mindset and The Millionaire Next Door, two fantastic books that talk about the importance of having a good lawyer, having a good accountant. And really what a lot of that book talks about is it's researching, you know, millionaires, so people with a million dollars net worth um, and DECA millionaires and looking at them in America, what they come from, where their backgrounds are and how they spend their money. And a lot of these people own small service companies. They live in modest houses and drive secondhand cars. They don't spend more than $20 on a haircut, et cetera. But they pay out the absolute nose for accountants and lawyers. They, they buy the best of the two in those two categories because they know that over that long period of time, the lawyer is going to be able to advise them and the accountant's going to be able to help them to ensure that they're always set up. They're, let, they're stress-free for a lot of those times as well. You know, they've got the cash flow there, they've got the money and they're able to operate their business without having to work, you know, 20 hours a day for their whole life because those things are taken care of by quality people who are friendly that they can work with over that period of time. Yeah, precisely. Another one of the books that I would actually recommend is a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And now that's not necessarily in the accounting field. Um, it's more in the finance field. But what it, what it helps people do is understand the value of money. So as, as you said, you know, the, the people, they, they drive modest cars, they, they, they take the cheaper haircuts because they understand what the value of money at the end of the day is. And understanding the value of money means you can understand where you can save and where you should spend. It's not necessarily about, you know, $1 in your pocket today is better than $1 in your pocket tomorrow. It's not necessarily about that. It's more about determining what is going to drive value to you later on in life. Now, some people, you know, the value driven is not money. Some people, the value drive is, you know, the success of the business, the the success of themselves. So that Rich Dad Poor Dad really goes through all of those steps and works out how a family can become rich, even being a family of personal success. Uh, so it's 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 really... 
it looks at that side of things. So it's very important to me at my heart because that's how I actually got into accounting in the first place. It's, mm. it's a passion of mine now. So would definitely recommend it. Yeah, and I, and I find it really interesting talking to people such as yourself in the same way that I find it fascinating talking to people who focus on esports research and finding those different lenses and different ways to look at you know the business. And that's why I love working with some of our investors because they bring those three different categories to it. You know, you've got the fun, exciting guy that likes to wear lots of, you know, expensive clothes and drives a nice car, but is very grounded in the fact of, you know, they're a visionary. They can pick what's coming next. And that's exactly. fantastic. And they're great at spending the money and they're great at coming up with the business ideas. And then you've got the second person whose job it is to go out there and to crush the contracts and to make sure that money is coming in to support the visionary. And then you've got the third of the finance guy that's sitting there in the background the whole time going, okay, do these two people make sense? Is what they're doing actually going to be something that's profitable for the business and interesting? The same way that I love talking to Emma Witowski from, uh, I, I might get this wrong, but I believe it's from Melbourne Uni, who you know has a very long history and a lot of studies done in research with esports because she comes from the, you could say the cliche opposite to me where it's none of none of my work in the past is research it's all on the ground it's all grassroots and actually trying to do these things in person and it's really interesting for us to have those discussions for her to say well no chris you're wrong to do this and yes you've been doing this this way your whole life but the study says that it's wrong and for me saying the other way you know have you thought about it from this lens or have you thought about looking from here or you know this area needs some more studies and stuff as well so i find it's very interesting and it's why you know, if you get into it, you know, I read a book once on how to conduct board meetings, which sounds boring, but it was actually fascinating and talks about the importance and how hard it is to be a board member with a lot of these, you know, large companies. If you've got a large, you know, multinational company, you need you need the diversification, you need the female representation, you need the minority representation, you need someone who's, you know, comes from the rich background and understands, you know, what actual wealth management is like. You need someone who's been an engineer in the past to actually understand the products. You need the person with the finance background who can tell you you know how to look at it from that kind of lens and you need someone who's you know been bootstrapping and come from the grassroots and brings that younger flair to tell people what's happening next you know across those boards and and i found that very interesting to me because it's it's easy for people within esports and easy for people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds to look at the rich people that are sitting on the board and have disdain for them but there is a lot of work that goes behind where they've got to and where they're at depending on you know what opportunities have been afforded to them up until then yeah, so exactly as you said, one of the things that I would highly suggest people doing is looking at um, ASX-listed companies and looking at the diverse range of shareholders that are actually in those companies. A perfect example of that is actually Harvey Norman, for instance. You've got uh, Jerry Harvey, who's obviously the owner of Harvey Norman. Um, I think I've got that right. I haven't done the research in a little bit now. But um, but then you've also got – you've actually got what we call non-executive directors. So they're people who – sit on the board, they run the board, they, they deal with the board meetings and things like that, but they don't necessarily necessarily deal with the day-to-day management of the companies. And people on that board include an accountant and a lawyer. They're usually independent accountants and independent lawyers. And the reason why they're included is because they really give you the grounded knowledge of what's required. So you've got people from who run the day-to-day operations on those boards. You've got people who are the big investors that, as, as we said, the rich people on the boards who really put the money and the time and the effort into starting the company up. But ultimately, you've also got the people who can actually sit there, ground you in reality, and they sit on the board, not necessarily as an executive director, but may, maybe also as a non-executive director because of the fact that you really just need a diverse range of experience. And this can come from 
it's not necessarily about having the qualifications and things like that in play. This can come from anywhere. So a mechanic, for instance, who, who's, who's looking to upscale their business, they, they can sit on a board understanding what run, how a car is run, how, how, how you know, the petrol filters and things like that need to be made and you know, what are the better brands and things like that. Just, just having that alone is mm. a wealth of experience. But then you also need someone who can sit there and really run the people. So the HR relationships, the, the contracts, as you say, the, the dealing with the day-to-day operations. And then further to that, you need the people who can sit there and really ground the business. I, I know I mentioned grounding the business a lot, but it's one of the things I really want to hammer home to people because you can have, you can have all of the dreams in the world. You can have all of the entrepreneurial spirit in the world, but you need something that's going to help that business be successful. And mm. that's where us as accountants, where business coaches, where consultants come into play. And those people are really important to your business, whether you're a start, a small startup or whether you're a large organization, it's very important to, to know that an esports business is still a business and an esports business still operates as a company or as a trust or as a sole trader or, as a charity business, a non, non, not-for-profit business, it can be a wide range, but at the end of it all, you are still running a business and you are still looking to make sure that that business can function not just tomorrow, but 20 years down the line. Yeah, and there's not much difference to doing exactly what you were saying and running any sort of project, right? If you're exactly. if you're a company that's launching a new product, you're a manufacturer, you've got a social team who looks after social media and understands that. You've got an engineering team who wants to make the best product and understands that. You've got a team that sets the price for the product and they understand a bit of the engineering, a bit of the social and understand the current climate and the competitors, how much to charge. You know, you've got the shipping team, you've got the sales team who go out and sell it, you've got the business development, then you've got the management team that sits above them. And it's exactly the same because, you know, the engineers might want to make the most expensive product because it looks fantastic and performs really well. But, hey, if you're a company that, that wants to make an $80 headset, it's just simply not going to work because the pricing person is going to come back and say, well, guys, this headset looks fantastic, but it's actually worth $700 and it costs us $400 to make. And it's simply just not going to work. The margin's not there and the market's not interested. The same with the social climate. You know, if you're going to release a keyboard today that doesn't have any lights whatsoever, you know, you better have a pretty good marketing plan behind that if there's no RGB because that's a lot of where the market sentiment is right now. And that's why Corsair has gone so hard into that and led the market in RGB because their teams who are all over Reddit and social media have come back and said, you know, hey, guys, everyone loves RGB. So we need to consider this and we need to consider going for that. The same way, like you were saying with the board, you know, if you've got a person with a mechanical background and and they're used to working on cars, they can help advise as to, you know, what a consumer is looking for in a car, what makes it easy to service a car. You know, if you're going to make a car and you want it to brand it as for the people, you need to make that car accessible for the average Joe to service. The oil filter needs to be easy to reach. It needs to be easy to understand and to work on. There needs to be space within the engine bay. You know, it doesn't need to, or it shouldn't have specialized tools that are needed. You know, the average person can just crack open the hood and just have a bit of a go, change the oil filter and off you go, compared to the opposite, like a, like a VW or a BMW, which requires, you know, a whole bunch of special tools, specialist knowledge and, and a hoist to get pretty much anything done these days. Yeah, fantastic. And I mean, you know, tying this discussion back once again onto the onto the accounting side of things, for you, you know, how how did you get started within this industry and how did you start networking yourself as a sort of esports accountant? So to get started in the industry actually took a lot of effort. It's it's not a, a basic thing of I just jumped into the industry and I, I was there. Um 
as I said, one of my passions was always gaming as a kid. Um, My biggest passion was accounting. But I decided, how can I combine the two? How can I really work out what's going to happen and what's what's going forward? And that's when I did some research into the esports industry and really spent some time getting to know what's going on and what's happening in the industry and realizing that it's a really big growth path for the future. And so in doing that, one of the big things that needs to be understood is, well, what's the business law around esports? Because as I said earlier, we're not we're not necessarily classed as a sport yet, but we're also not necessarily sitting as your regular businesses every everyday businesses because there's a lot of entertainers in the esports industry such as twitch streamers so i did a lot of research into understanding what the tax point on that is how how they should be taxed as a business and how their earnings should be taxed which Um, can be very complex right which can be very complex but but in all honesty if you spend a lot of time understanding it it becomes more and more simple so it's one of those things where there's not a lot of people who want to tackle the esports industry because it's an infant stage industry yeah so it's really important to determine when I got in the industry, I needed to make sure that I had the knowledge of understanding the industry. So I also went out and did a graduate diploma of financial planning, which is actually wrapping up right now to understand not just accounting, but also finances of people's businesses. I can okay. run the day-to-day understanding of that. Um, knowledge is always power when it comes to accounting and, and a lot of the times a lot of accountants just don't want to take that extra step to understand the knowledge. So if you go to your day-to-day accountant, they're not really going to understand, well, what a Twitch streamer is, what they yeah. do. Just as if the, a lot of them will understand what a consultant is, but what's an esports consultant? How What's an influencer agency, for instance? It's very yeah. important to, as an accountant, not just know how the books work, but how the different businesses operate. Mm. And running the numbers and running the way things are going, I found that it's actually a very, very lucrative potential business for me in not only the short term, but also the long term, because building the reputation in the industry and networking and actually spending the time to go to not just business networking meetings, but also individual networking meetings means that I now have the reputation as essentially the accountant for esports. And um, we, we see that a lot. We've got lawyers for esports now as well. We've got uh, consultants for esports. We've got um, people who are just really specialists in the industry. And those are the people you really, at the end of the day, want to be spending the time with because they're the people that can understand you and your business, business and not just your successes but also your problems. Mm. So you can spend time talking to them and really understanding what needs to be dealt with. And on the, on the accounting side, that may be as simple as well, what's your accounting software? That may be as simple as, well, what tax are you going to have to pay based on the costings that you're running? Are you running at a profit or are you running at a loss? But it may also be as complex as, well, how am I going to convince my sponsor to pay me tomorrow? Because a lot of the times with any business, you know, you may you may have a 30-day turnaround on what you expect your invoices to be paid, but you know, the sponsor may think they're going to pay in 60 days. The investor may not provide you the money and that's where accountants can come into play. That's where we can really help you. We can chase those funds. We can do that sort of stuff. And so in order to get in the industry, I did the research. I spent the time. I then got the network. It's, it's, it's just as important to have a network as it is to have the knowledge because spending time having a chat with people and, with this alone, if you ever want to have a chat with me, 
feel free to do so. I'm I'm always available on Messenger. I'm always available on the phone systems. You can call me. You can just grab my number from my website, things like that. It's very important to have a base of people that you can talk to and build mm. your business around. And so I'm more than happy to do so on that front as well. Yeah, some definite uh, anecdotal evidence there to back up what you were saying was us with, with Shade Crew, with our influencer launch and with getting our contracts done through lawyers. It was incredibly hard to find the right lawyer who would understand what gaming is, how, what, what a 12-month to three-year contract is for a talent, what the revenue split is, what the clauses are for exits and, and you know, any trailing commission and if that exists and, yeah, how to position that and how to word things correctly. Extremely hard. Um, and, yeah, and I mean, I've said extremely a few times, but I definitely can't understate it. It was the fact of, you know, do you go to a lawyer who specializes in employee contracts? Probably not. Do you go to a lawyer that specializes in actor and actress contracts? Maybe, probably not. Do you go to a lawyer that specializes in talent contracts for presenters or for sports celebrities? And the answer is all three of those really in one. And it becomes difficult and somewhat expensive when you're paying for someone else to do research on your behalf um, of things that you wish they already knew. And, you know, that's the positioning of you and that's the same positioning with Thunder, right, with insurance and that's the same positioning with Matt Jessup, you know, esports lawyer and Cam Rogers, an esports and influencer lawyer and, and Judge Brand that works with him and, and such as well. Can you give me a quick rundown 101 then? And, and this is, you know, something that people don't know and I would say rightfully so. It's not taught in schools. So can you give me a really quick dumb down 101 on how a company runs at a loss? How does a company exist while earning negative dollars? Okay, so um, before I state anything here, I must go into the point of this is general advice only, so this may not be applicable to your circumstances. By law, I have to state that just to to let you know. a company can run at a loss in many different ways. Um, one of the biggest examples of that is actually Spotify. Um, they're a $50 billion company. They're yet to turn over a profit. Uber is in the same boat right now. They're a $50 billion company. They're yet to turn over a profit. But companies run at losses by having investors, people backing the company to understand that in the future that company's going to make a gain. So you, you may have your shareholders put money into the company, essentially, at a very basic level. As an example, your company may be making $100,000 but have $200,000 of expenses. Mm-hmm. We see this a lot in uh, – people ask all the time, oh, why are the top end of town not actually paying tax? But a lot of the time it's actually because the top end of town don't make a profit every year. So – Qantas a while back, as an example, they were running at a loss of $158 million a year. Mm-hmm. Now, that may mean that they have to find $158 million from somewhere. And usually that somewhere is by capital raising, by having investors come on board, spend the money to have that money come into the company and back up those costs. Now, what, all, what that also means for tax purposes is they carry forward $158 million worth of loss, which means in the future they can make $158 million worth of profit and still pay no tax because they've made the loss in the past. What it, what it means is that by the two averaging themselves out, technically they've actually not made any money. They've just recouped the losses that they had in the company. Mm. So before questioning why a company is paying no tax. Now, obviously, there are loopholes in the industry. There are international companies shipping money overseas, which I don't condone. But there are a lot of Australian companies who are really running at a loss right now that 
are looking at making future gains and that's why yeah. they've got investors. The investors are supporting the company or even you yourself might be putting money into your company until the company is profitable. Mm-hmm. So it's very important to really know that companies running at a loss the very basis of it usually means, well, someone is funding that company somewhere. That's mm. the point A to point B. Now, that may not always be the case. We, we see that with some companies who have run at a profit for 40 years and then suddenly run at losses for the next 10 and slowly wind the company up. That's a different ballgame altogether that where the company has what we call retained earnings, where the company itself has made all of this money, has kept it in the in the bank accounts and can now run at a loss in the future. They're, they're few and far in between and they're a lot rarer. That's usually companies that are on the end of life cycle where they're looking to wind down and shut down down the track. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, thinking about it from another point as well is with startups, what's, what's their exit and where do they want to get to? So, for example, a lot of companies, especially in the data space, they want to get acquired. So, you know, there's that funny joke that was in, I think it was in American Dad where, you know, it was the devil set up a company and he had his opening speech where he talks to his staff and says, you know, we're fantastic, happy to set up this company and we've been bought by Google, see you later. You know, so that's definitely some options. So a company is trying to increase their runway until they can get bought out at a much higher valuation than what the amount of money that they've spent, you know, and their investors recoup their money plus some, hopefully 10x or such. Or like you were saying, there's other companies that are, you know, wanting to be a blue chip company they want to be around for 50 100 200 years but to do that you need to somehow make a profit over that period of time and there's other ones that you know maybe wanted to hit economy of scale and that's what you see a lot with uber and spotify it's um you know is there a pathway for them to keep raising money or with tesla to get their cost down to reach a size where they're big enough to have the buying power and the authority then to start making profit on that you know with tesla is there a point where they can start selling five million dollar model threes a year which then means they can make a significant profit on each because their buying power is of of the state that they can do that so yeah it's definitely important i think for people to understand when they look at these reports like Forbes saying there's only one cash flow positive team in the world, for example, you know, which is uh, of the biggest 20, to just to denote that fact, of which is a realistic conversation to be had. It's why? What's the goal of these teams? Is it a goal of a tier two team to be bought by a tier one? Maybe. And maybe that's why they're making a loss until Fnatic can buy them out and they can sell off their players and their assets and go do something else. Is it a goal for Cloud9 to be the biggest and longest standing team in the world to exist forever and to make a, a fantastic profit? You know, people don't always know. And you you know rightfully or or unjustly so you get that all the time in the esports market right people make up their own mind about what this company is trying to do and where they're trying to get to and how they're spending or losing money you see that a lot with with the team order when they did their public um raise through virtual you know their their im became public all you had to do is submit your email and you could see all their books and then everybody starts discussing you know is that the best scenario and best way forward but you know without being on their board without knowing what their plans are for the future, you know, it's not people's place really to comment on, you know, what their company's doing unless you're an analyst and it's your job to advise other VCs and investors or you have a significant financial licence and you can, you know, analyse those things as a paid person to do such activities. Yeah, precisely. It's um, it's what we call sentiment in the industry as well. So we look at... Um as you you mentioned, economy of scale businesses like Spotify and things like that. But you also, I can bring this down to an accounting level and you look at the company Xero, um, who started out in New Zealand, who now runs one of the largest cloud-based accounting softwares in the world. Mm. Um, Now, 
they haven't actually turned over a profit yet. But if you spend a little bit of time to look at their books, accountants, we argue this all the time, a lot of people get scared because they're like, well, they're not turning over a profit. How are they going to make money? What's going on? But you, you, you look at the zero as a perfect example. They have a huge amount of revenue, but they also have a huge marketing cost, which means if they were tomorrow to just decide to shut off their marketing, they would be running at a profit. Mm. You'd find the same probable cause with companies like Spotify. If they turned around and decided because they're a subscription-based service to just stop marketing, stop spending the costs on that sort of stuff and only focus on the costs regarding licensing for the music, they'd probably run at billions of dollars of profit. But it's, it's looking down at economy of scale at the end of the day. A lot of businesses run at a loss with the mind of building the business up so far ahead that they can make a huge revenue down the line. Mm. Further to that, a lot of companies, as you said, make a loss to start with because they plan on being bought out so they spend big money in order to make themselves become the number one in an industry, the number one recognized brand. Mm. Now, Tesla's in a different story because even whilst they're technically running at a loss, Tesla is one of the only car companies in the world that received a loan from the US government. Or Keep in mind, all of the big companies, GM, all of those received loans from the government. Tesla's one of the only ones in the world that actually paid it back. So it's one of those things where you have to be very understanding and, and do the research into the company before just talking about what they're doing. Because we mm. look at order, for instance, when their books did come out, as an example, they were running at a loss and they may still be running at a loss. But you can see with their management style and their management structure that their business is changing, evolving and growing. Mm. And hopefully that's the case with all esports businesses. Now, they may run at a loss for the next five, 10 years. We don't know that, but we don't know what their end goal is. Mm. So their end goal could be to be bought out by a phase clan or a fanatic or a tsm or something along those lines but for all we know their end goal could also be to take australia international and that could be a very big thing Mm. so it's not not for me to judge what they're doing Um, now i might have the financial background to be able to judge what they're doing right now but just because of what's happening right now doesn't necessarily reflect what's happening three or four years down the line. Yeah, exactly. Another analogy is looking at people in the gym, right? Some people want to have functional fitness. They do CrossFit, they do MMA, they do Jiu-Jitsu. Some people might want to run really fast, so they might lift some weights to help them with the 100-meter sprint. Some people might look incredibly skinny, but that's because they do the Moab 250 and they run literally 250 miles, and the last thing you want to do is be carrying a lot of weight on your legs over that time. So, you know, different horses are different courses, and there's yeah, exactly. different businesses that are running. So for you, what's what's coming up next with, with both Paradox, Paradox and Rise FA? Well... As some people may know, um, I haven't, I've been made it quite public, but I'm actually rebranding Rise FA over the coming days to a more suitable name. Uh, Rise FA came from me originally buying an accounting business and keeping the current clients happy. Uh, now that I'm moving into a more specialised industry, my name will actually be changing in the future to Quantified Accounting Group. Uh, that's simply there as a way to continue growing and continue building the brand and the business. So that's a, a, a brand update and a brand change just for me personally to really be able to build a network of specialists in different industries and go forward that way. Um, so obviously I still want to grow and I want to continue growing my business. I don't plan to ever stop doing that. On the paradox side of things, we've got a, a few 
things which unfortunately we can't specifically discuss that are in the works right now, uh, but they are um, over the next few weeks you'll start seeing a couple of announcements coming out where we're really excited for, for things to come. Um, specifically right now we're looking at the smash scene um, where mm-hmm. we're about to start some big things in that area. Fantastic. Um, further to that though, um, we're looking to just uh, arbitrarily grow, um, acquire some new teams, um, so we're actually expanding into potentially Dota 2 and Overwatch at the moment um, uh, just to continue the, the, the basic growth as an organization. But we're also doing something different and we're looking at being content driven. So it's not necessarily for us about picking mm-hmm. up the best team in the world. We're looking at teams who are fun, who who can drive content, drive YouTube channels, drive Twitter and social media in general to to build up a reputation of just being, you know, really, really friendly, really fun players to, to be around. And the reason why we're doing that is because we pick up um, Twitch streamers, as an example, for the, for the ability to just have organisations really understand what we're, we're about. And we're, we're really growing on that front. And I'm really excited to see um, the growth of our 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 people in general as a whole we've got a couple of uh, graphics designers who we so shout out to to lewis and that who who are just really good at what they're doing he's actually um building my logos and stuff like that for um quantified accounting group in the future so it's it's we're we're cross combining things but we're also uh building a brand in paradox of being just you know a really fun friendly brand to take it to the grassroots to take it to people and build communities because in Australia one of the things that I think has happened is we've got some big companies who have come on board for large scale tournaments like like IEM Sydney and things like that with mm-hmm. ESL and stuff like that but it's always important not to forget where we came from and where we started and that's where paradox really wants to spend some time and investment in the grassroots okay. and build that community and help grow that as well. So Chris, where can people follow, learn more about you and, and yeah, ask for some advice. Okay. So on the accounting side of things, you can follow me at quantifiedaccounting.com.au. Um, you can also hit me up on messenger for, uh, Facebook. I'm always available for a chat. Uh, my discord handle is PRDX underscore fear F E Y R. Uh, and on the paradox side of things, uh, once again, my discord handle is PRDX underscore fear, but realistically, we the Paradox Gaming Facebook and Twitter is Paradox Gaming AU, so at Paradox Gaming AU. Mm-hmm. And you can follow us on Twitter, you can follow us on Facebook. And in general, if you just want to get in contact with me as an individual, once again, PRDX underscore FEYR. If you want to follow us as an organization as a whole, it's Paradox Gaming AU for Australia. Fantastic. Thanks for joining us today, mate. No problem. And thank you to listening in to the Big Esports Podcast. This has been episode number 38 with Chris Hillman from Quantified Accounting Group and also Paradox Gaming. If you want to check any of the notes as to what we talked about today, any of the links to Chris or his companies, and you want to research anything that we've discussed, make sure to head to bigesports.gg forward slash 38. That's the numbers 38 for any of the show notes. Once again, this has been part of our IEM Sydney series of podcasts that have been released just as part of our normal schedule, but we're talking with a whole bunch of interesting people, both local and international over this weekend here. Thanks for listening and bye for now. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg. Today's podcast and all of Season 1 and Season 2 has been brought to you by our sponsor, PLE Computers.